Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Second in Command podcast, the chief behind the chief. Today's guest is Rachel Pachibas, who is the COO from Anne-Marie Skincare. And she's been with the company virtually since the inception. She joined as the third employee back in 2012. Rachel's desire to create beautiful spaces and atmospheres brought her to an education at design, and then shortly afterwards inspired her to travel to see the beauties of the world. It was traveling in Australia that really sparked who she is today, learning about organic farming and permaculture, natural skincare and herbs and natural medicine. During her mid to late 20s, She spent time as a political organizer working on food transparency issues, and today she continues to work on projects around food serenity, toxic chemicals in the skincare industry, and our everyday lives, which is why Anne-Marie Skincare is the perfect fit for her. They provide organic and wild-crafted skincare to people around the world with the goal to move chemicals off the shelves and out of the industry. So welcome to our show, Rachel. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. How's it going? It's going great. You guys are yeah. still busy as ever and growing like crazy? We are, and I've been traveling every week for I don't know how long, and I travel every week for the next five weeks, so it's been pretty intense over yeah, the past the, month. The whole roadshow stuff, is that, are you at trade shows, or what are you on the road for? Yeah, so last week we were at ShiftCon, next week I'm going to speak on a show, and then we're going to another event, and then we're going to Expo West. Um, so yeah, it, it just depends and then workshops and anything along those lines. Yeah. The travel component gets busy. How do you say no and how do you control your time? So I guess it's interesting. I try to say yes often. And then recently I started saying no a little bit more based on just who I'm going, kind of who I'm going to engage with and what my value is and also what I can extract from it. And I actually was saying no to one event in New York, and then I realized that I could actually meet cool people and then also do some personal things as well. So um, it's hard. It's hard to kind of like not go everywhere, but still go everywhere and find time. And I try to not burn out, which is what I find to do when I, I don't know, start going everywhere. And then at that point, I'm like, okay, then I start saying no all the time which yeah, I guess I works for me. I noticed that years ago when we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK and I was the COO and at the early stages, we, we had no kids. No one on the leadership team had kids. And, um, I think a bunch were married at that point, but we didn't have the children responsibilities. And as soon as we started to layer that into the business, saying no became a lot easier. Yeah. And that's kind of like how I feel. I'm like, if I can do it right now, I might as well just do it. You know, and I'm going to make fun of it. I'm going to go to the beach while I'm at these events. I'm going to have lunch with people and have dinners and get facials and do things so that it's enjoyable and I'm not burning myself out, but I'm going to just try to do as much as I can while I still have the energy. Yeah, it's perfect. It's called make hay while the sun shines. So tell us about how you got to where you are. I mean, you, um, you had kind of an interesting career in kind of getting into this space. Tell us a little bit about what kind of occurred while you were over in Australia and how you started to see what was happening with, um, I guess all the chemicals and GMOs were being exposed to and, and how that led us to where you are today. Yeah. So once, so I went to school for design, so totally different from what I'm doing. And I went to Australia to kind of just, you know, escape America and play around and explore. And I actually got into living with a naturopath and learning how to make skincare and learning a lot about 
the agricultural industry in Australia. And it made me want to take a look at what was going on here in the U.S. So when I got back to the U.S., I started volunteering in a few different organizations, which led me to working on a campaign here in California for labeling GMOs, which then led me to meeting Kevin and Anne-Marie, who were volunteers in the campaign. And we became friends. And, you know, a lot of what this company is based on is activism. And it started from them having a blog and educating and talking about real issues that are often not discussed. And that drew me to them and wanting to work with them and wanting to be with them and create something great. And, you know, skincare is just one aspect of transparency and clean beauty and clean health and um, eliminating toxic chemicals from our lives. How bad is the situation with toxic chemicals in, in the U.S. specifically? Like how, how much stuff are we putting into our systems that we're not even aware of? Oh, it's awful. There's, you know, there's 84,000 chemicals on the market today and 1% of them are tested to give you a little bit of some idea. Um, and that's, that's just chemicals. And if you're thinking of skincare and then your furniture and flame retardants, you're thinking of paints, you're thinking of um, your bedding, you're thinking of children's clothing and children's toys and phthalates. And then the fragrance industry, I mean, every single thing that, that we're around, we're inundated with toxic chemicals and we don't even know it because the industry, you know, for so long, the last cosmetic act that was enforced was back in the 30s. So for so long, we haven't had any regulation on what can be put out into the market. So when we go to the, to the grocery store today and we're looking at, you know, things like organic food versus, you know, normal food that we were used to 10 or 15 years ago, the price just seems to be so much more expensive. I mean, the other day I was looking at a dozen organic range-free, whatever eggs, and they were like $7 mm-hmm. and then the standard ones were like $4. How do you, how do you build the pricing or the cost of everything into your products to be able to come to market with stuff that is so safe, I guess, and still yeah. build up a market? Yeah. I mean, Eggs is one thing and food and the, you know, the food industry, it's so backwards in this country, the way we look at food and health and the way that, you know, genetically engineered crops and conventional farming is subsidized by the government. So that's one aspect. But looking at skincare, you know, a lot of the the skincare companies out there, conventional, they're producing products that have toxic chemicals in them and they're cheap and inexpensive. So when you use them, you're also factoring into a health cost at the end. You know, there's been studies done that show annual health. um, What was it? It was back in the New York, I think it was New York University or NYU University Medical Center. They had a study showing an annual health cost of $340 billion linking to endocrine disrupting chemicals. So that's our daily exposure. And that goes into $340 billion a year in annual health costs. So taking that alone and wanting to really just avoid chemicals in that way for your health bill, you kind of feel okay spending $50 on a moisturizer that's using pure, raw, amazing ingredients and well-crafted ingredients and avoiding fragrances and phthalates and chemicals that are really harmful to your system. Yeah, it totally makes logical sense. And, and you know, it's weird. My dad's probably the, one of the least healthy people out there, and but he's always talking about how he almost thinks that the kids are getting more cancer from putting sunscreen on than they are from being out in the sun. Um, yeah. Kind of, that was really the first time I ever even thought of what we're putting on our bodies or in our bodies and what it's going to do to us. But talk about your, um, your products now and what you guys are building as a company. Are you strategically doing anything in terms of lobbying to help your industry or is that just happened 
you know, as you continue to scale, do you think people are going to be moving towards this as the norm as we are towards organic food is becoming more of a norm? Yeah, so I definitely think it's trending. You know, that's one thing, which, you know, some can argue is that the right approach just because it's trending, you get on board. But I am I'm happy. I'm happy that people are hopping on board because it's a, you know, a trendy thing to do. Um, so that's one aspect. But I think, you know, education is a really big thing that we can all do. So that's one part of our platform is educating our consumers and customers about what's going on and about herbs and what they're doing and what they can do. And then also getting involved with different um, acts that you can do. So, you know, there's a group of companies called the Counteract Coalition, and we're a part of that. And they're working on lobbying right now legislation uh, into Congress to revise a cosmetics act and there's a few things in there that we're still researching to hop fully on board with but we're still a part of that coalition working with I think there's 20 other companies personal care product companies in there um, working to really just push Congress and lobby and push for safer and cleaner products on the market and more testing and more chemical regulation and that's another thing and then the last thing that I think you know we do pretty well and we're starting to do more is to push for action. So, you know, texting something to Congress or um, signing a bill or doing things like that and just like having little pushes here and there when we can. Uh, and then the last thing I guess would be Made Safe Certified. All of our products are Made Safe, safe Certified and I like to give them a little push here and there um, or plug in just because they're doing so much and they're such a really good organization. They're a nonprofit and they're, they're the first third party verification system where they're looking at every single ingredient that's in your product and they're verifying anything from skincare to mattresses to baby products and toys and we're made safe certified. And so it makes me really proud that every single product, every single ingredient in our products can be considered made safe and has the stamp of approval on them. Then when you're doing all of that, it's building in a lot of additional costs into your product, correct? So how do you, how do you balance out the need to be able to sell to a consumer with, with doing it all the right way? I mean, it's, and I asked this hoping that the rest mm -hmm. of us can learn how to continue doing it, but it's the opposite of what, you know, we've been told so many companies were doing forever, which was offshoring and going to the cheapest market and using kid child labor and, you know, all the bad stuff. You guys are almost the exact antithesis of that. How do you do all that and still keep your products you know, in a price range that works? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting <laughs> because we, it is expensive to do all these things and it is expensive to provide amazing paying jobs where our team members are super excited to come to work and I don't know, they're just, it's a great, you know, year that we have and at the end of the year we're like, okay, are we, we're profitable, thank goodness, um, but it's not, we're not making billions, you know, we're not some massive corporation making tons of money where the CEO is offshore making billions of dollars every year and we're okay with that. We're okay with just having a quality of life that's great and I think it's just having acceptance for that and having that balance and knowing that our purpose here is to create something better and not to be greedy. Um, to me, that I think is one of the most important things about it. So it sounds to me like Kevin and Emery, when they found you, kind of found a diamond in the rough and someone to build their company who's also completely aligned with their kind of core purpose and their core values. When did you start with the company and what was it like coming on board and what kind of, how did your transition work from then until, you know, now when you're running the business for them? Yeah, so I met them 
And it's funny because I actually met them a little bit before I started with them. I, I was using all, you know, clean products and my eye cream was still toxic. And I was so vain. <laughs> like, I don't want wrinkles. So I'm going to still use my toxic eye cream. And I found this eye cream. And so I purchased it and I started using it. And I wanted to get it into my esthetician's office that I was going to. So I attempted to do that. And Anne-Marie came out. So that was the first time I met her. And the second time was the meeting they were hosting. I was there and I was like, oh my goodness, I remember you guys. And we became friends. And Kevin asked me, he's like, can you work with us and help us build our company? And at first, I was like, absolutely not. I'm not working a nine to five job. I don't want to do it. <laughs> and then he asked me again, and then again, and then finally we had a meeting. And finally, I came on board. And, you know, at the time, there were two other employees, and it was super small. And it was, it was great because they, they had this idea, and that's when Anne-Marie was going on maternity leave because she was pregnant with her first son. And finally, when I went full time, I, I went in and I was like, this needs to be inspiring because I was coming from working on a campaign where everybody was volunteers and everybody was super passionate about what they were doing and they were excited. They were working long days and long weeks because they wanted to, not because they had to. And so I wanted to recreate that in our working space and I wanted to create an atmosphere where people were inspired and they felt like there was a purpose behind what they were doing. And so now, fast forward six years, we have 23 employees, some, you know, some remote, some in-house, which we've allowed over the years, flex hours and benefits and happiness conversations and the ability for people to kind of feel empowered in what they do. And I think like taking that idea from campaign work and field work and plugging it into a for-profit company where people can feel, you know, just like this is their, their journey is really exciting. I think that's what we've created here. That's really cool. How do you how do you get the same or how do you get the vision that Kevin and Anne Marie have for the company? How do you understand where they want the company to be and what it's to look like in the future? And, you know, I, I talk a lot in some of my books about the concept of the vivid vision. What do you guys use as a tool to get alignment for yourselves and then for the rest of the team with vision? So that's kind of what we did, <laughs> the vivid vision. We read your book and I remember I came back from one of those CO Alliance events and I was like, Kevin, I need you to do this. And sometimes I'll ask him for things and it doesn't happen. You know, some things will linger. And, but when I come to him with something, I'm like, I need this. He does it. He's like, I'm on it. And so he wrote the vivid vision and him and I reviewed it. And, you know, you know, backtrack to, I think two years ago, we were at a manager's retreat, me, Kevin and Anne-Marie talking about what we wanted to do. Like, what was our goal as a company? And Kevin was coming up with these ideas and these numbers. And Anne-Marie and I were like, no, that's not our goal. <laughs> and we kind of sat there and we had a moment where we all agreed that our goal as a company is that we take care of ourselves. You know, that's our, for, you know, our focus, that we take care of us. And that will extend out to everybody that we interact with. And so our vivid vision is kind of a replication of that at a much larger level where we're going through and seeing everything that we do and how it plugs into the company at that core purposeful level. Um, so yeah, we have a vivid vision and the team is on board with it. We have applicants review it when they're applying. And then we also have our ASC culture guide, which kind of goes into kind of who we are as a team and our dream team and what we want to create and who we want to become and our core values. Um, so yeah, we have those tools and 
And I think just the actions that we have in our everyday lives at the office play into those. And how, that's awesome. How do you and Kevin stay on the same page, um, you know, day to day, week to week? What are, what are your meeting rhythms like with him? And how do you guys work through issues that normally occur with the you know, visionary and integrator with the CEO and COO? Yeah, so him and I have weekly meetings. Every Monday we'll get together. Sometimes we'll go for a walk, which is nice because when you're walking, you're kind of already agreeing on things. You're agreeing on walking. Uh, so we're starting off like that or we'll sit down and have our two hour meeting Mondays. Uh, and then we're also, we have a sauna, so we have check-ins there, and that's for little smaller projects. And then other times we hop on the phone, so it might be over the weekend something comes up, or, you know, on a Friday afternoon, after hours, or, or whenever it is, we're just like, hey, what do you think about this? And maybe we'll hop on the phone and discuss it there. Him and I are really open. We talk about everything, um, which I think is really essential. We don't ha just have a working relationship. I honestly consider him one of my really good friends. Um, and I, I think he considers me one of his. So I think that's a really essential part of working with your CEO, uh, forming that bond so you trust each other. Um, and I fully trust him and I hope he trusts me and I think he trusts me where you can, you know, do any single task that's needed at any time. Yeah. And so for, for you, the, that's awesome. But, and, and that is the core of it, right? Is the trust and open communication. Everything kind of flows off of that for sure. The... Um, your role in the in the organization has obviously changed. I mean, when you joined, then there were three employees, yeah. and now you're you know, 23 employees. Um, so the role, you know, the company's eight times bigger than it was just on the personnel side. How have you had to change and adapt as you've grown, and how do you think you're going to have to continue? Where do you think you're going to have to continue to grow or change going forward? Yeah, so when I started, I was doing wholesale account managing, and I quickly realized that that should not be our focus due to our margins, and which has changed over the years. But I realized that should not be our focus, and we need to get our systems in check. And that's just what I started doing. And then slowly, he started you know, letting the team know, all right, go to Rachel if you have a question. And slowly, I moved into a manager role, and then slowly into director of operations. And then it kind of just became to representing the company and doing things along those lines and now it's managing the team on a much greater level that I didn't think I was really prepared for but I feel like I've grown into this role so there was a lot of challenges there which I definitely think CEO Alliance has helped me grow so much uh, so thank you for that <laughs> yeah. um, and I think you know moving from where we are now to where we want to be at the end of this year and the end of five years I have to what I'm challenged now with is taking a step back and looking at the big picture a little bit more and delegating a lot more. I feel like delegating has always been something that I struggled with because I'm always like, no, I got to do it. I need to get it done myself. And I think that's something that I'm learning to do better and having a good team in place to where I trust them now and I can pass things off to them and really make sure that they're doing what they need to do so I can focus on the larger things for growth. That's often the curse of the entrepreneurial company or the entrepreneurial early stage employee is we're often so good at doing everything because we had to, that we tend to uh, be a little slower at delegating than we should be. So I, I yeah. told a mantra years ago by one of my mentors and he said that a leader's job is to grow people. And the more that we focus on growing the people around us, growing our direct reports, growing our team, the more the company will scale and it's up to us to grow them more than it is to do the job. So it's not, you know, I have to do this. It's, it's, I need to get this done. Um, and talk to me a little bit. Yeah, about I, Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I heard that. I think it was one of the events that we went to and I was like, I am on board with that a hundred percent. I'm happy my team feels that way as well, where I want them to make the decisions. I want them to come to me and say, Hey, this is what's going on. This is my solution. Now, what do you think? And come to me with their solution first and don't expect me to manage them. I want to lead them. I just want to be an inspiration to them and, and guide them along the way when they need the help. So, and I that's agree. what they want as well. You know, they don't, they don't want to just have everything delegated to them, right? They're joining yeah. a company, especially if they're joining a company like yours, where they're inspired by the vision, they're inspired by the core purpose, you know, they're excited to build something and then they show up every day just being told what to do. That kind of gets pretty boring pretty fast. Exactly. Yeah. Now, <laughs> what, um, what have you struggled with in your role? Is there any been one or one or two areas that you've really struggled over time? Um, I think it's, it's an ongoing thing that I'm, I'm playing with. And I think it's not that, that big of a struggle, but it's something that I need to always find balance with. You know, we're such a close group and, you know, I think there's out of 23, there's 21 women in the company. So, and we all become such good friends and super close to where we're hanging out on the weekends. And I have to find that line, which I don't want to, because I want to hang out with everybody. But in the same breath, I have to find that line on how to be friends when we're friends and how to, you know, hold people accountable when things aren't going properly. Uh, so that's been a challenge for me personally is finding that kind of that, you know, happy place and happy medium on there. Yeah, it really is. It is a tough balance as well when you actually are leading a company and are friends with everybody because they all of a sudden start to blur the lines as well. And it only comes up during crisis. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's hard. True. <laughs> So you, you mentioned the CO Alliance and how you've grown there. So any one or two big takeaways from the times that you've been? Because you were actually at one of the very uh, first CO Alliance events as well. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, I actually I talked to I talked to somebody this weekend about it. I'm like, you have to do it. <laughs> uh, you know, when I first went, I wasn't, Kevin sent it to me and he's like, here, one of his friends sent it to him. And I was like, uh, how much is it? Should we go? Like, is it, is it worth it? He's like, well, forget the price. And I'm like, no, I can't. Cause my whole thing is just budget, budget, budget. And then he's like, just go. I think it could be valuable for you. And I was like, okay. And then I kind of got over the price thing. And then I was like, well, do I have any value to add? Like, am I going to be, am I just going to be extracting information here? And then I went and I was just like, oh my goodness, this is so good. And I, I felt really overwhelmed at first when I went because I felt like this was so much out of my league, all this information and all these people, they're so much better than anything that I could be. And I was really overwhelmed. Uh, but then after that first event, I was energized and fueled and I felt excited and I had a notebook full of ideas that I needed to implement. And then I was like, this is so worth it. And I went back and just continue going back and keep thinking like, okay, should I continue? And then each time I go, I'm like, I have to, which is so freaking good. I can't not do it. And I keep thinking like, when am I not going to learn more stuff? Because I feel like I'm so, I have so much information that I need to start plugging in. And I've done things, of course, slowly but surely. Um, but I keep learning new information. So and until I stop learning, which I don't think that will ever be. I'll continue to be a part of it. Well, it's interesting. I've talked to a few people over the last couple of years since we launched, and um, I guess it hasn't even been two full years yet. And just saying that some of it yeah. is about learning and some of it is about more the, the confidential network and in the environment and the group that we get to just share ideas with. But some of it as well is it, it's just a time to actually take pause three times a year to work on ourselves and work on the business. And even if it's planning to do the stuff we already know we should be doing, so yeah. Sometimes it's even less about 
learning new ideas and it's more about putting some of those ideas into action and sometimes it's a bit of a kick in, kick in the pants or it's the um some of the accountability that happens too so yeah if if you were giving somebody who is coming to a CO alliance event for the first time if you were going to give them a you know one or two things tips to walk in with to make it the best possible you know if they were coming in test driving what would you tell them to you know make it the best possible first event for themselves yeah this is easy because i just said this to someone who's coming in february which is great um, I told her to go in with an open mind. You know, you might be overwhelmed and you might be scared, but go in with an open mind and like a sponge and absorb everything you, you hear. And then second, be vulnerable and talk to people about what's going wrong with you, but also help others in what they need help with. And then make friends, you know, time to connect with people and time to really open up with people. I think that's one of the best things about it, that you make these connections and these friendships where you can call somebody and be like, hey, I need your help. What would you do about this? Or, you know, shoot them an email. Do you have any sort of system for this? And those connections, those are, you know, invaluable. Those are so helpful and have helped me along the past two years or a year and a half, however long it's been. So that's the advice that I gave to this woman. Awesome. That's awesome. So when you were just starting off in your role as COO, is there anything that you wish you'd known before you started that, um, you know, looking back that you would have done differently? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, possibly hiring. I think that's a big one. I feel like we've really honed in on our hiring process and onboarding process. I wish I had had what we have now back six years ago to hire that team. You know, in the first couple of years, we've gone through a few team members. Um, but I think about four and a half or five years ago, we haven't had much turnover, which is really great. So I think that hiring and onboarding process, that would be something that I wish we had more, so more of us. What did that change yeah. for you? What did, what did the hiring and onboarding process do? Um, you know, what mistakes did you stop making because of what you put in place? And I guess, what, what is the hiring process you put in place? So right now it's pretty intricate and it's really long and lengthy. We do a lot of, um, oh goodness. So we send them our vivid vision and our culture guide and we make sure they're aligned with that. And we want to know that they've read it. So we might reference that during an interview. Then we have them do a phone or a Zoom interview with the direct supervisor if it's not me. And then we'll have them do an in-person interview. Um, and I like to take them into some sort of public setting to see how they interact with the service industry, which I think is great. Um, and then we might have, if they move forward, we'll have them do a team interview to where they meet the entire team and we just get an idea of who they are and, and how vulnerable they can be and if they jive with us. And that's a really big thing because we have such a huge team and we want everybody to feel so comfortable coming into the space. Um, and then we do things like the Colby test and the color code test. And the onboarding is a you know week to two week long process where they're getting fully trained in the products, our story, our mission, uh, their role. They're doing shadowing sessions with all the other team members to get to know them. And I don't I don't think we did any of this. We just did an interview, right? <laughs> Which, you know, like we didn't do any of it. And it's so useful to have all of these tools. And I think all of this stuff I've learned over the past couple of years, being at the CO Alliance and meeting people there you know you pick one thing from one company and person that you meet and then maybe you alter another thing from another person um so so yeah we have quite a few different things that we do right now to bring somebody on board and have them be a part of the asc team 
Yeah, it's interesting. I was speaking to the COO earlier today, and um, he's been 12 years in his role as a second in command. His dad actually runs the company, but they've got 80 employees. But he's literally been, been running the company, his dad's CEO, for the last 12 years. He had no idea that any groups are, existed for entrepreneurs, let alone the COO Alliance. He said he was completely blown away. He's like, wow, he's, for 12 years, we've just been trying our best and working hard and reading a book. He said, I had no idea this stuff existed. That's so, so hard. Uh, right? I couldn't imagine. Like... No, everything we everything we ever have is not from us. It's just from other people, you know, and I couldn't imagine not having the support that I have with the CEO Alliance and then also that Kevin has with his group. Um, yeah. So you've got some unique traits or some unique abilities that, that really have allowed you to excel in your role. What do you think your one or two real strong superpowers would be that, that allow you to excel as a COO? I think uh, the first thing that comes to mind is connecting with our team so getting on a deeper level i don't want to see myself and i don't want them to see me as somebody um above them i want to i want them to feel that they can come to me with anything and they can just talk to me and they could connect with me and get advice and feel inspired and and not have me get mad for silly things but also to the point where they want to do things because they respect my opinion um and i think it's just being open and having that policy that if you ever need something, you come to me and you bring it to me and we'll make it work. So I think that's one of my superpowers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the other, possibly being direct, you know, it gets me into trouble from time to time, but I think being very direct and clear and clear communication with people when something happens and not ever letting it go longer than you know just a sh short bit i think that's another really good quality that i don't ever want to lose it's interesting you just touched on something which is that you know you being direct is probably one of your strengths but it can also get us in trouble at times and it's often that our strengths are our big biggest weaknesses as well i um yeah i just did a another personality profile that i got back um this morning called a print profile and i i did a call with the um the, the company who kind of walks you through it to understand it. And it's all about how you're showing up and then also how others might be perceiving you and, and kind of your shadow side that you're not even really seeing mm. and what triggers you into those moments as well. And it's really intriguing just to keep learning. Do you guys do anything, yeah. um, you know, at your leadership team level with personality profiles at all? And in terms so we of do, about the interview yeah. process, do you do it in terms of how to work better together? We do. We do the Colby and the color on how to work better together. The Colby, um, I guess it's more for your skills, but it also, it's nice to know when somebody asks a lot of questions, you know, that that's just part of their personality. You know, I like a lot of details. So before we had done the Colby, Kevin would always get really kind of frustrated. He's like, why are you asking me so many questions? And then we did the Colby. And I was wondering, why don't you tell me anything? Why do you not give <laughs> any details? <laughs> you know? And then we did the Colby and he's like, oh my goodness, it makes sense. Like, that's just who you are. And I think that was really nice to see. So the Colby is definitely one of them. And then the color code personality test kind of lays out in terms of there's blue for loyalty, white for, um, what was the white? Something with patience and not non-confrontation. And then yellow is somebody who is, has shiny object syndrome. And then red is power. Um, so kind of if you're hiring somebody <clears throat> who might be a red, if somebody is going to be managing them, 
they can't be a white. So, I mean, like working in that sense, so you don't want to put people mm-hmm. together where you know they're not going to thrive. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Like the more, the more of these that I do and the more that I encounter with others, it's, it's really interesting to learn the different layers that make us who we are because you can't really change the other person. The, the, I think the strength is to learn how to work with them so that you can leverage each other's strengths, right? And how to, yeah. how to tie into those. So you talked about Kevin and, and his Colby, and I would guess that he's a high quick which means he just yes. starts <laughs> things and plans later. Like even, even just go to the CO Alliance. I'm not even sure what it is, but I'm sure it'll be great. Whereas you're like, what is it? And what am I going to get out of it? And how much does it cost? And he's like, it doesn't even matter. Just, just go and run with it. Um, that's a real balance to, to play with the COO and the CEO. So what do you do to, I guess, allow Kevin to be that quick start and to be entrepreneurial and to be the visionary and to want to start things, but to a point, how do you kind of keep that under control? Because you're kind of executing on a plan towards the vision and towards the goals. How do you Mm -hmm. allow him to stay in his zone, but also not, you know, allow too much of it to hurt the company? Yeah, so we have our planning meetings. We have quarterly planning meetings and annual, um, and we get our goals set for that. We get individual goals and then company goals, and it's been really, it's been really interesting. And he's been following it. It's been easy. Where he'll come up with this grand idea, and I'm like, okay, where does that fit into here? And then I'll be like, okay, yeah, <laughs> like what are we going to remove from here in order to plug that in? How much time is that going to take? Uh, and then there's the impact filter sheet. I think we have it with you guys as well, CEO Alliance. And he actually recently sent it to me and he's like, hey, have you seen this? I'm like, yeah. And so that's something that I'll bring to his attention when he has a new idea. You know, how much time is this going to take and where do we need to plug this in? So if we have, if we're fully at capacity with our team, we can't plug it in right now. We need to push it back. And so that's been helpful for him to see. That's Yeah. And I think just like allowing him that opportunity to just like get it all out and saying, okay, let's great idea. We're going to do it. We're going to do it here though. And moving it back a little bit. He's okay with that. Just knowing that his idea is heard and that it's going to happen is all that he needs. (laughs) It's that's the key, right? As long as they know that their ideas have been heard and are captured and they're being kept somewhere, they don't necessarily need to start them. But in the absence of a system to keep track of their ideas, they want to start them. Um, Yes. And I love that you're using the impact filter. I've adapted that and called it a decision filter where I've added some ROI analysis as well, just to take a look at, okay, it sounds like this project is a good idea, but you know, what groups is it going to impact? Is it going to increase our revenue? Will it increase profitability? Will it increase customer engagement? Will it increase employee engagement? And what's it look like if we get this project to completion? Is, is it really worth the effort and time that money that we're going to put into it? So it's great that you guys are using that. I'll, um, I'll link that in the show notes as well. Tell me, um, is there one area right now that you would like help with in your role? Is there anything that you're struggling with, you know, on day to day currently that you would like help with? Mm, that's a hard one. Everything. No, <laughs> kidding. Um, oh, goodness. What am I struggling with? I think it is finding the time to do the things. And, you know, I think we're at this moment right now where we've been not a small company, but smaller. And we've had some of our team for four or five years to where they were with us at a certain number and a certain revenue level. And I think it's training them to get on board with where we want to be. Uh, That's been kind of a challenge. And it's that challenge of how do you know who's, who's that employee who stays with you when you get to a certain revenue? And how do you know if they're supposed to leave? And I think that's been the challenge right now that I'm working through. And I, th- I think we've 
we've gotten it. Um, I hope, you know, we're really working with them on if they want to be involved at a certain level and having those conversations with them and really making it obvious on where we want to go and really just plugging that in at every chance that Kevin and I have. This is where we are. This is where we want to go. Um, I think I could always do better at it, but I think, yeah, I think that would be one area. Sorry, I can't think of anything big right no, now. <laughs> well, and, and one thing you'll start to see is that as the company continues to scale, necessity is the mother of invention, employees will start to figure out for themselves, geez, the company is now twice the size that it was, I don't fit, or they won't see themselves in the next role, or you'll have a room, when it's really going to become apparent is when you put the next layer of management in. So when you get to about 50 employees and you're starting to put in the layer below you and above the current team, some will rise to the top and some will be reporting to their direct reports. And then all of a sudden, some will be reporting to someone who comes right in from the outside. And that's when you start to see the, the people who are gonna be there for a longer term decide to, to stay yeah. and the others decide to opt out too. Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing. That's that's huge. And I think that's something that we're challenged with and we're working on. And then also, you know, hiring more remote team members. We, you know, we've been in-house for so long and we've started hiring a few people there in Southern California and allowing people to move. The Bay Area is expensive and we want people to just live happy lives. So I think like really capturing that. So I've seen some cool resources for that, for having remote team members. I'm going to put together a guide. So you know, any tools there would be helpful. Um, have you met May Stigler? Do you know May? Or did you introduce May to us? May with Organifi? Yeah. Is that her last name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We but, met at the last CEO Alliance. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. Because she's there, I think, almost exclusively um, a remote team or they're working really Okay. Hard. So she might okay. be someone to talk to. And then another one to talk to is Matt Wool from Acceleration Partners. Mm. Um, all 70 of their employees are remote. Oh wow! They have no okay. they have no head office at all. Their their head office is effectively their CEO's house, but one hundred percent of their employees work remotely, um, and they'll work remotely over video together just to be hanging out and have their video open as if they're sitting in an office together. But they've got some really good tools and systems for um, accountability and for leveraging each other and for building community and for even having an amazing culture. Like they they keep ranking mm. as a great place to work, but they all work from home. Wow, that's interesting. I'm going to yes. reach out to him. <laughs> that would be a great one to talk to for sure. So how about a failure? What about one area that you've really struggled with or that you really dropped the ball on that you learned from? That I learned from? Um, our co-packers. Uh, yeah, that's one area I could have done better. I feel like in a moment where I've just been really, really rushed, I'm rushing myself, you know, rushing to get something done, and get it done just right away, um, which has never been my thing. I've always wanted to get it done perfect. I've just found, without saying too much, um, using companies that weren't ideal and causing price increases or causing delays and causing just like a whole slew of issues that weren't necessary, which if I would have just put more time in the beginning and researched a little bit more and made the effort to go visit them in person and shop around for price quotes. I think that was one area where I rushed it and I didn't do what I typically do. And, you know, not that I regret it, but now I'm, there's a process for it and it's more in place that way where we go and meet them. We 
fact check a lot of things. We make sure that we have a dedicated facility. We have so many things in place to where those can't happen again. So maybe it you know, happens for the best. Uh, but I would say that was one area where I put, put aside what I typically do just to get something done. And I should have done it well from the beginning. Yeah, it's interesting. We often do a lot of work on the recruiting side that you've now perfected, the recruiting and interviewing and onboarding of employees. But we typically, I've seen so many companies not do anywhere near enough work on finding suppliers and really, really doing that same groundwork to find your lawyer and your accountant and your bookkeeper suppliers and, you know, third party, um, uh, you know, contractors that we're hiring or even remote employees or, hiring people off Upwork, like they tend to just go with the first person to apply. I'm like, that makes, it's no wonder it's hard. It's no harder to find those contractors or suppliers as it is to hire employees, but we tend to not do the work. So I'm glad you've already figured that out because if you put the systems in place for that, just like you have recruiting and almost, yeah. almost the same process that you've done for recruiting, you'll probably never have issues again or they'll be so much more rare. Yeah. And you think about it, you, these people are, you want them to be partners. You want them to just, I mean, that's going to make your life so much easier, at least for me, having this one co-packing facility that we can just trust that they're an extension of Anne-Marie skincare is so ideal. And the fact that we didn't do that for so long is quite silly. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. You're definitely getting ready to grow to the next level. So final question I want to leave you with is what would be one word of advice that you would give a CEO for helping to um, you know, remove obstacles and helping a CEO excel in their role? What would, what would the advice be that you'd give to CEOs to help their second in command? Helping them excel. Um, I wanna say, it's kind of, there might be some, some extra answers here. <laughs> I wanna say, trust them and not only trust and listen to them, but tell them what you need from them exactly and explicitly in order to trust them and trust what they're saying. Um, so, you know, you may, you may not trust them and you may not trust in the small sense, but maybe you want to question something or get extra advice on something, but find out what you need and tell them what exactly you need from them in order to trust every single thing that they're doing so that they feel empowered to do it. Um, and then also, with the with I mean most COOs that I've met, they're similar to me in the sense where their hands are in a lot of different pots and their brain is constantly thinking and they want their systems in place and they want to be organized and they want all the details and the CEO doesn't necessarily do that. Um, so I think just getting to know them and getting to know that that's part of who they are and um, yeah, I think just finding out those little details about them and knowing that that's for the better of the company and that's for their own growth as well. That's awesome. These are, these are huge insights and it's interesting. I think we often take for granted. It's like the unique ability. We, we look at what our own skill set is and we say, Oh, that's not that big of a deal, but it is. It's why it's our unique ability is we tend to take it for granted. And I think you and Kevin have developed an unbelievable relationship, which is it's why Anne-Marie skincare is growing at the rate it's growing and why you're going to continue to be successful. So um, Rachel, Thank thanks you. so much for being on the Second in Command podcast. Great hearing from you and looking forward to seeing you at the next CEO Alliance event too. Thank you so much. All right. Rachel Pachivas, COO from Anne-Marie Skincare. Thanks very much, everybody. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.